Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we're helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all, or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can go to mynsc.org happenings. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout the week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Are you ready to study the Word of God, yes or no? All right, we're in this uh, new series today uh, called Wired for Worship. And this is something that it's extremely easy for me to teach on. Uh, it, it's not, this is certainly a series in which I, I have way more information than I have time. And, uh, and part of that is because it's just, uh, I'm just built as a worshiper. It's just always been natural for me. Uh, but also, I, w- I was a music minister for, for nearly a decade. Uh, actually, before my wife and I started New Song Church, I was in music ministry for years and years and years. I have led thousands of of worship services, and I mean that very literally, and it's something that uh, is very dear to my heart. I just love worshiping uh, the Lord. I love helping other people worship the Lord, and today, uh, I, I think all of us are going to be extremely encouraged and at the same point challenged in our faith and, and really in our walk with Christ and how we live a life of worship. And um, I'll, I'll tell you this, that a lot of times when my wife and I uh, um, really felt called by God to come here to, to Plymouth and, and start a new song, you, you would think that the, the word, the very, the, the very name of our church, New Song Church, or really it's technically New Song Community Church, uh, would be uh, because of my background in worship and leading and things like that. It's actually not. It's actually from a psalm, Psalm um, 40, verse 3. It says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And we thought that was very prophetic, just that many would see and really trust in, in the, the lordship, the, the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. We thought it was just very prophetic of who we wanted to be, which is not only just a church of worship, but a church of outreach. And God has just done the, the miraculous. Uh, we, we, are, we are baptizing more per year now than we've ever done before. Just this past week, I think officially it was 14 people that we baptized last Sunday morning. We're, we're, you know, I'll tell you this. We have loads and loads of people raise their hands and say, hey, I'm trusting in Christ. But, you know, baptism is, is really the way that it's kind of that, hey, they're, they're, they, they made a true commitment. Like they, they made a public confession of faith. And we, it's hard to count how many people raise their hands. You know what I'm talking about? But it's easy to count how many people get into a tank and, uh, and, and allow us to, to, to baptize them. And it's been just the joy of my life here at New Song that we have, we have not only seen well over 1,000 people accept Christ, but we have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of baptisms here by, by the grace of God, everybody. And it's, and it's really our heart at New Songs to be a church of worship, but also to be a church of, of outreach, that when people come into this room, we want them to experience the very real, the very tangible presence of the Lord. We want them to walk away and say, and you know, they're not going to use these words, but surely the Lord is in that place. Surely the Lord is with those people. Surely the Lord is moving in this group of believers and, and I'm telling you, it creates in them a, a hunger. It, it creates, when, when people who don't know Jesus come into an environment like this and, and they feel the presence of the Lord and they see authentic, genuine worship and they're challenged in the word of the Lord and encouraged in the word of the Lord, there, there's these life-changing moments that happen in moments just like this. And I love it. I, I absolutely love it. So I want to show you some things. I'm going to teach you some things as we just lay the foundation uh, that, that you are wired for worship. I promise you this, everybody, that every single person throughout the entirety of the world worships something. 
Not everybody worships God. Not everybody worships Jesus. But everybody worships something. Everybody, and if, if, if you have somebody who says, well, I'm an atheist, I don't worship a thing. Actually, you do. You, you, you worship the fact that you don't, that you don't believe in anything. And, and a lot of people go out and they, they say, well, I'm an atheist. They, they make that announcement, and it's because they're proud of it. It's something, it's something that they hold dear in their life. It's something, actually, their choice not to believe is something that actually is, is an act of worship. Did you know that? And, and you know what it is? It's worshiping self. Well, I've made the decision that there is no God. I've made the decision. Do you, you guys see that, everybody? Everybody worships. Everybody worships. Some people worship money. Some people worship stuff. Some people worship a, a person of the opposite sex. Some people worship multiple people of the opposite sex. You know what I'm talking about? Like everybody worships, but our hearts need to be tuned in to worshiping the Lord and the Lord alone. That he is the focal point of our worship. We are, we are to worship no, worship no one and no one else besides God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that, somebody? That's how we're supposed to live our lives. And so I'm going to give you some, some scriptures today. We're going to have loads and loads of fun. Ezekiel 34 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to read four passages of scripture, and I'm going to show you something so very powerful through these four passages of scripture. Ezekiel 34, verse 11, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, he says in verse 16. Can I tell you something? That the Lord is looking for the lost, for the ones who have never been found, and he's looking for the strays, for the ones who used to be in the, in the flock, but they've strayed away. He's searching for them, everybody. Isn't that good news? So for some of you, you have some children that might not be serving the Lord right now. God is searching for them. He's, he's actively involved in their life, pulling them back to a right relationship through Jesus Christ. That's good news. Isaiah 62, 11 says, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called, watch this, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, sought after. The city no longer deserted. Our God is a seeking God. Did you know that? He's a seeking God, and he finds who he's looking for. It's amazing, everybody. So amazing. Remember Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, this is Jesus himself, says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's go on to, to John chapter 4. And you know the story of Jesus that he really felt drawn to go through the, the area known as Samaria. And he ends up at a well speaking to a woman who's had multiple marriages and multiple failed marriages. And she's with a person right now that she's not married to. And, and Jesus has this conversation with her. And she's talking about how they worship in Samaria and that they say, well, we worship on this mountain. And, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, you, watch this in verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Let's stop right there because that might not make sense to some people. See, in, in Samaria, the Samaritans would go to this mountain and it would be a place of worship. And uh, according to, to their legend, uh, 
that Moses built this altar there on this Mount of Gerizim. And so the Samaritans would go there. And what it, what it represents, let me give you a short version of it, that they were, that they, they were worshiping multiple gods for multiple reasons. And, and Jesus is there saying, hey, listen, actually the real worship, the real worship in your life is focused on our heavenly father and him alone and his plan for humanity. In fact, he's really pointing to himself. And he says, uh, you worship what you don't know. Like you have all these things that are coming into play that really, they're, they're just all coming into play, multiple aspects of your worship. But I'm telling you, in his own way, he was saying, look at me, just look at me. You don't have to look at all those other places, all those other gods, all the false gods. You can just look to me because salvation comes through the Jews. He, he was saying, you're looking at all the wrong places. Who you need to worship is right in front of you. And then he goes on, it says this in verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So we're talking about true worshipers today. True worshipers. How do, how do you know? Let me ask you a question. How do you know if you are a true worshiper? How do you know if you are a true worshiper? I, I mean, let, let's face it. For all of us who, who love Jesus, we, we've, we're, we've surrendered our lives to Christ. I don't know about you, but when I stand before him, I don't, as, as if he replays the, the course of my life, I don't want my Savior looking at me as I worshiped anything or anyone else. I just want to worship him and him alone. And by the way, I don't want to do it as a counterfeit. I don't want to, I don't want to fake it. I want it to be real. Is anybody else like me? Like, I want it to be real. I, I want Jesus to look at me and, and say, well done, you worshiped me and me alone. Well, how do we know if we are true worshipers? Because Jesus himself is speaking here in John chapter four, and he says, he says, God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. He's, he's searching for them. He's looking for them. Who's truly going to worship me with all of their heart? I want to point out a couple of things. Letter A, notice who God is not seeking so sometimes we, we look at not only what God is looking at or we, we search for what God is searching for, but what is God not seeking? Let me, I, I just gave you a space. You can write down anything that applies to you. What, what is God not looking for? Well, he's not looking for the egotistical, the narcissistic. He's not looking for the, the prideful, the arrogant, the high-minded people. He's not looking for the wealthy. He's not looking for the best dressed He's not looking for the one who thinks that they have it all together and tries to prove that to the world. He's not looking for the hardest worker. I've had a lot of guys in, 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 over the course of time say, well, pastor, I'm a good worker. Can I tell you, that's not who God is searching for. I'm proud of you. It's good to work hard. The Bible says you should work hard, but that's not who God is seeking. If, that, if your identity is hard work, can I tell you something? You've got some things out of order because you might worship your work ethic. That might be so important. Well, I'm a hard worker. Well, is that who God is searching for? Because there are people who God is not searching for. But then there are people who God is seeking after. So I want you to notice this. Notice who God is seeking. Let it be. Notice who God is seeking. 
those who don't know him, those who are weak, and those who worship. And we see that all throughout scripture, that God searches. He searches for the ones who are lost, the ones who don't know him. He searches for the weak, and he's gonna show himself strong. And he's searching for those who worship in spirit and in truth. I don't know about you, but when God finds what he's looking for, he shows up in power. He shows up in might. He shows up in grace. He shows up in mercy. He shows up with his blessings. He shows up with his favor. Come on, can I get an amen, somebody? Like when God shows up, miracles happen. Deliverance takes place. Freedom takes place when God shows up. So when God shows up, attitudes change, atmospheres change, families change, relationships change. I mean, everything changes when God shows up. Well, I want God to show up in my life. Well, I need to worship him in spirit and in truth. I need to worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do we live a life of true worship? How do we do that? Live a life of true worship. The first one is we worship with awe. We worship with awe. Right underneath it, I want you to write this down, that my worship reflects my view of God. My worship reflects my view of God. Okay, Hebrews 12, 28 says this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Think about that for a second. Have you lost your awe of God? Have you lost your awe of God? The creator of the universe, the creator of you. Have you lost your awe of God? The greatness of God, the bigness of God, the vastness of God. Have you forgotten that he always has been he is, and he forevermore will be. Have you forgotten to stand in awe of God? You know, I, I've been in moments in my life where um, I, I, I've seen things that a lot of people haven't, haven't seen just by the grace of God, uh, and, and sometimes just places where I've traveled, sometimes where, where I've, I've spoken, or sometimes even, even just trips that we've been on. Have you ever been so far out in the middle of nowhere that there are no lights around on a, on a very clear summer's evening where you look up and you're not seeing just a hundred stars, you're seeing millions of stars? Have you been there? How many have ever seen something like that? And don't you, don't you, whoa, isn't that, isn't that, listen, look, that, that moment where you look up and you see all those millions of stars. and the, How about this? Has anybody, I, I've seen this only one time, only one time. I was camping in northern uh, Wisconsin and uh, I was doing a youth retreat. We were out in the middle of nowhere. I was speaking at this youth retreat. And, and uh, at nighttime, went outside. All the stars were out, but that's not all. I got to see the northern lights. 
Has anybody else seen the Northern Lights? It is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you stand there, you're like, it just, I have no words. Like, there's no words. It's so beautiful. It, it's so, I, I mean, you, you just stand there in awe. And what I'm amazed at is sometimes people stand in awe of creation instead of standing in awe of the one who created it all. They stand in awe of creation, but they don't stand in awe of the creator. And I've learned I'm not just going to look at the stars and say, I'm going to look past the stars and look at God and say, whoa, God, that's amazing. You're an amazing creator. You are an amazing God. You're bigger than I ever dreamed. When was the last time you stood in awe of God? I mean, truly stood in awe of God. Because your view of God, your view of God, it matters. And you will reflect in this world your view of God. Can I tell you, you need to, you need to get to, to know your, your Bible so well that you're reminded about the bigness of God. And he's big. Second thing, write this down. We worship with abandon. Worship with abandon. That my worship should never be casual. Never. Your worship should never be casual. In fact, Jesus wasn't casual when he endured the cross to make the payment for your sins and mine, was he? That was no casual event. And yet we oftentimes worship Jesus so casually. Like, eh, I'll put my hands up a little bit. I might sing a little bit. Listen, our casual worship does not reflect the events of Calvary. You know what I'm talking about? Our casual worship does not reflect the events of his week of passion, of all that he had to endure. Our casual worship does not represent what Jesus endured so that you can go to heaven for all of eternity. Our casual worship does not represent the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in fact, I, I was uh, thinking about this. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to give you some verses, and then we're going to go back and talk about the story. So I'm going to give you these verses first. They're very, a very famous story about David, about King David. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 says, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. In verse 21, David retorted to... Now, a lot of people just say Michael. Uh, that's David's wife. It's actually... It, uh, it, that's okay if you want to say Michael. I looked this up this past week just to be sure... And I, I was right, it's, it's, it's actually a, a word that it does not come very easy for you and I. So it's really, and you have to say it with Jewish phlegm in your, your throat, you know what I'm talking Michal, Michal. Like, I don't know, it's like M-E, 
with a bunch of H's and all at the end of it. You know what I'm talking about? So we're just going to say Michael for now, all right? Because it's, it's easier and we're English. What are we going to do? You know, we're not, we, we, don't, we don't speak this language. So David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. What, what, he, what she was saying is you're making, you're making a fool of yourself. And David says, I don't care. It's okay to be undignified before the Lord. Like, and I'm going to do it all the more. The more you make fun of me, the more I'm going to worship because I'm okay with looking undignified before the Lord. And you say, well, what, what's the connotation? Let me show you something that's so powerful because in this portion of Scripture, they're actually bringing the ark back um, to to the city, they're bringing the ark back. It's been in, it's been in captivity literally for a long time, and they're bringing it back in, into the place it's meant to be with the Jewish people in the temple. And and there's this long story before. And David is so happy about the ark of the covenant coming back into possession of of the Israelites. Okay, so so let me give you a little backdrop of what's happened here. So the ark, the ark of God, the ark of, uh, of you know, it's, it almost has this, you know, like Indiana Jones type of stuff. Like it's almost mythical. But actually the ark, the ark was very, very real. It, it was a, a very ornate, um, you, for lack of a better word, this is a terrible terminology, for, for lack of a better word, a, a very ornate box. And, and in it had a couple, or on top of it had a couple of angels, their wings touched. And it literally housed... It's, it's the place that God chose to dwell in in the Old Testament. It housed the very presence of God. And it was also known as the mercy seat. Inside of it were three things. It was, it was uh, the Old Testament. The, or, I'm sorry, the, the law from the Old Testament. Remember how Moses comes down and he sees this golden calf being made and he, he takes those tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and he, and he breaks them. He throws them down and breaks them. Well, this is the second copy of those Ten Commandments are inside of the ark as well as uh, remember the story where uh, Aaron, um, the whole, you can read this for yourself. Uh, the ser- we're talking serpents and staffs. Well, his staff had kind of not only flowered or budded, but actually produced almonds. And, and that was located inside of the ark as well as a jar of manna. And it all really, most theologians agree that those three things, the, the, the stone tablets represent the law. Aaron's budding staff represents the priesthood. And ultimately, the, the jar of manna represents provision that God, that God gives, that he just provides for us. And they're all inside of the ark. And, and the ark was, was actually located primarily in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, which was a, a, a moving temple, as it were. It was, it, was a, it was the place where people would worship. It would be the, you know, the, the place where the priests would go in and there were sacrifices there and, and, and they would take care of business. But it was the tent of meeting. It traveled with them as they would travel. But later, up, it later on ended up in the temple. Well, over the course of time, uh, there were battles that took place and actually the ark was taken off. It, it was... It was Taken by the enemy, so so David, um, they 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 secure it once again, and it's been in the in the home of Abinadab is his name, and he had two sons. He had Uzzah and Ahio, or we would say we would say Ahio. It's really Ahio. Uh, it's been in that household for quite some time, and so David finds it, and they build this brand new cart, and they're taking it back to the city. And you remember that story. That as they're going back to the city, um, Uzzah and Ahio 
were, were right there. They had been around the ark for a long time, and they're traveling with it. A heel was in front of it, and, and Uzzah must have been close by because at some point the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand, and he touched the ark to, to keep it from falling, and he died. Like, like, he just died immediately. Boom, done. And you say, and a lot of people say, well, I don't understand that. Well, you have to know the context of everything that's happening. First of all, the Bible says, first of all, if you touch something that has been set apart as holy, like the ark, then if you were to touch that, the Bible says, surely you will die. Well, how many know, can I tell you something? God is a man of his word. And man, I shouldn't say it like that. He's a person of his word. He's, he, he, if he says it, he's going to do it. He's, if he says it, he's going to do it. And so he, he, he touched the ark and he died. And he's like, yeah, but his motives were right. His heart was right. He was trying to keep it from falling. Can I, can I actually challenge you on that? Because at this point, Uzzah has been around the ark for so long. It had been in his household for so long that he became very casual about the presence of God. Because remember, the ark is where it literally housed the very presence of God. That was the place that God chose to dwell. And Uzzah had been around it so much, he was so casual about the presence of God that it was no big thing. It was not even a second thought of whether to touch it or not. He was, ca could it be everybody that we are so casual in the presence, we've been around it so much that we become casual in the presence, the very presence of God. Could it be? that we're so acclimated to moments like this that it's just another moment. Instead of understanding that when two or three or more gather together, Jesus is here, the very presence of God fills this place, and we are not meant to be casual in this moment. And so what happens? Well, Uzzah reaches out, he, he, he touches the ark, he dies because he's too casual around the presence of the Lord. David gets scared. He actually gets scared to the point that he leaves the ark uh, with, with someone named Obed-Edom, left it there, said, I don't want, I, if that thing's going to kill people, I don't know if I want to be around that thing. And you would have the same thought too. Like, okay, I've just been awakened to the power of God. I don't know if I want to be around it. Well, all of a sudden, Obed-Edom has it, and for the next three months, God pours his favor, he pours his blessings out upon Obed-Edom to the point that somebody comes and tells David, David, you're not going to believe what happens, what's happening right now. Obed-Edom is, God is just blessing his socks off. Like he is enjoying the favor of the Lord. And David says to himself, I want that. Can I tell you something? The presence of the Lord is contagious. When somebody lives in the presence of the Lord, enjoys the presence of the Lord, I'm telling you, it's contagious. It, when, when somebody's enjoying the favor of God, the blessings of God upon their life, it's contagious. People want to be a part of that. And David goes back to Obed-Edom and says, I want that back. I'm taking that back because I want the blessings of God upon my life. Can I, can I tell you something? When you focus on the presence of God, listen to your pastor. When you focus on the presence of God, God focuses his blessings upon you. Why? 
You say, where's that in scripture? How about, there's lots of places, but how about God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him for those who just go into his presence regularly. The Bible says he's a rewarder of those who love, who cherish, who dwell, who abide in the presence of God. And when you focus on the presence of God, God will focus his blessings upon your life. Now, if you came to church looking for a good word today, you just got one. You just got one. So I want to center my life in the presence of God. I don't want to do anything that would hinder the presence of God in my life, in my home, in my family, in, in this church. I don't want to do anything that, would, that would, would keep the presence of God at bay. I want the, I, I want the presence of God to flood not only my life, but my, my wife and my children, my family, my home, this church. I, I want the presence of God to take over everybody because when the presence of God shows up, so does power. So does deliverance, so does provision, so does freedom, so do, the, so do the miraculous miracles that we're longing for. They all show up when God shows up, everybody. So I, I want the presence of God. Can, can I just be, be honest with you, new song? And, and this is going to be a little pastoral moment. But I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't say this to you. We are not called to be casual worshipers. We are called to worship in spirit and in truth. If you say, well, pastor, I, I might get a little undignified. It didn't bother David, and it shouldn't bother you. And can I tell you something? If somebody is in this room, and they're worshiping the Lord, and their hands are up, or maybe they're jumping up and down just praising God, say, Lord, bless them. Go get them, God, because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they came out of. Let them worship. Let them worship, everybody. Let this be a place of freedom. I'm not talking about chaos. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about weird stuff. I'm talking about genuine biblical worship. Let's worship the Lord in this place and never be casual about the presence of God. Mm. Number three, worship with affection. We worship with awe, we worship with abandon, and we worship with affection. Let me say it this way, that worship, that my worship is an overflow of what I hold dear. Worship is an overflow of what I hold dear. There's another verse that says the same thing, it's saying the same thing in a different way, but it says this in Luke 12, 34, it says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's what you're going to worship. That's what you're always going to be looking towards. Everybody, worship is an overflow of what you hold dear. So when, when the Lord is most dear in your life, you will worship with awe, and you will worship with abandon, and you will worship with deep affection. And what I'm talking about here is intimacy. I'm talking about intimacy with the Lord. I'm talking about that moment when you are so focused on him, the world disappears and you're only thinking of him and you're worshiping him. I'm talking about deep intimacy with the Lord. Psalm 27, four, one thing I ask from the Lord, this 
only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To, what's this? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. It's, 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 it's when those moments, and these have happened hundreds and hundreds of times in my life that I didn't even know what to say in his presence. Like any words that I came up with weren't enough. I'm talking about intimate worship with the Lord. Lord, you're so beautiful. You're so glorious. Sometimes I didn't know what to say so I wouldn't say anything. And there, there, were, there were worship songs that, that back when I was leading worship that, that we would say, when, when I don't know what to say, Lord, just listen to my heart. When I don't have the words to say, listen to my heart. I'm talking about showing affection to the Lord, intimate worship with the Lord. Intimate worship with the Lord. It reminds me of the chorus we used to sing, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. When was the last time you've had an intimate, an intimate moment with the Lord? Lord, you're so beautiful to me. You're so gracious to me. And I love you. When was the last time? When was the last time? When was the last time that you stood in awe of God? When was the last time that you worshiped with abandon? You didn't care who was looking. You weren't concerned with the person on your right or your left. You just worshiped with abandon. When was the last time? The Lord is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. And when he looks, I want him to find me. I want him to say, oh, there's my son. There's Justin. Oh, that boy knows how to worship. <laughs> Don't you want God to say that about you? Oh, he knows how to worship. She knows how to worship. <laughs> and then when he finds me, then I receive all of the benefits, all of the blessings of my God because he brings them with him. He cannot go somewhere without his power. He cannot go somewhere without love because he is love. He cannot go somewhere without bringing peace with him because he's a God of peace. You see it, everybody? In his presence, the Bible says, there is fullness of joy. Why is that? Because when God shows up, he brings all the joy with him. <laughs> so, Lord, we worship you today. You are beautiful. You are wonderful in all of your ways. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey with you. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org contact. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. 
You are the ones who God is using to make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for watching. We hope you tune in next week.